More and more badass women are joining the ranks as highly skilled construction professionals. Construction and renovation projects wouldn't happen without the skills of the various crews involved. As we all know, the skilled trades have been male-dominated for like forever. In this season, I'm highlighting the amazing women doing their thing in the construction sector. Every journey and every story is different, but they are all inspiring. Have a listen as I learn about their stories. All right, so today I have the incredible Lindsay Cairns on the show. She is the outreach coordinator for BC WIT and she joined the Center for BC Women in Trades in December of 2019. And she is the force that is behind all of the work that happens there. Um, her work focuses on outreach, leadership, event coordination, for the growing of the network of tradespeople from underrepresented groups across BC. And her top goal is to work herself out of a job. I mean, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> uh, she is a Red Seal journeyman electrician, um, and she's a proud IBEW Local 230 member, queer person and a parent. And she has a background in community, sorry, community organizing, organizing uh, urban geography and food security issues. Prior to embarking on her electrical career, she worked at the University of Victoria as the Knowledge Mobilization Coordinator for a five-year research project into the social economy. Lindsay is a settler who grew up in Toronto and has made her home on the unceded Lekwungen land in Victoria since 2001. So welcome to the show, Lindsay, and I'm so excited to have you on the show. I'm looking forward to our conversation like crazy. Me too. Thank you so much for having me, Brandy. Uh, now I'm tempted to go back and correct all these things, but I do have to say that I am not the only person we have at BCC Wit. We have a whole oh, staff of people there, um, and many of whom uh, actually work so much uh, on individual supports in our careers program. So you wouldn't actually ever meet those people because they are career developers working one-on-one -on -one with clients, um, getting them into the trades. Um, so I have a bit more of a public role at the organization, which is one of the reasons why more people seem to know who I am. Yeah, for sure. So how did BCC Wit come in into into being? Like that's a really fantastic question. Um and we have a bit of a history information about this on our website, but I mean, it it came from real live people who are tradespeople who are from underrepresented groups, whether that's women or 2SLGBTQ or people of color who were really seeing um how there needs to be systemic change um, to deal with systemic discrimination. And so um, the there was a whole bunch of things that laid the groundwork. I mean, first off, one of the things I always like to make sure that people know about, and you can find this information if you Google, but there's actually been amazing tradesmen organizing, I mean, all over the world, but in British Columbia, um, for decades. And so um, there is a Women in Trades Network where I am here on Vancouver Island um, in the 70s and 80s. Um, same thing within the Kootenays and, the, and in the Lower Mainland. And so this, this whole sort of um, idea that actually we need to do some community building in order to make changes, um, it's been around for a really long time. But in the more recent history, um, what we're talking about is um, actually um, we had an amazing um, opportunity that came through um, the hard work of Lisa Langevin, who got a um, an opportunity for some tradeswomen to actually go and speak with uh, some politicians in the Liberal government when they were in power here in um, Victoria at down the legislature buildings, and that was in 2016. And coming out of that, the the provincial government. Um, agreed to put some money towards doing a study into what was happening specifically for women in trades. And one of the reasons why it's really important to have for them to have focused on women is that we actually have numbers about women and whether like what's happening with them. So one of the things that we the stats were already showing is that many, many women are starting in trades, but they're not actually getting fully qualified. Um, and even if they do become fully qualified, they don't actually stay in the uh, skilled trade sector after they get their qualifications. So the study that was funded um, which is called supporting the enhancement or enhancing the retention of women in the trades 
it's really unique because it was the first qualitative study that was done. So it was actually done by an academic, but it wasn't just looking at numbers. They did study um, focus groups all over the province, um, asking uh, women in trades um, and also women who'd left the trades, what, what, what are you dealing with here? What are the barriers you're facing? And um, one of the things that's really great about that is not only did that mean that we actually had this qualitative data or that actually had the, we, with all this really amazing uh, information that came out of that, but also those study groups or those focus groups themselves resulted in community building. And there are lots of people that I meet who say, yeah, actually, I never met another woman in trades until I went to that focus group to be part of that research study. And now, and like that was the beginning for me of having a cohort of people and peer mentors that I could rely on in my community, uh, which I just love so much. I think that that's really an amazing um, uh, reason for why we actually need to make sure that we don't just do um, numbers-based research, but we actually do like qualitative research, not just quantitative. Anyway, so there was a study done um, and coming out of that study, there was three main reasons that were found for why uh, women don't tend to stay in uh, skilled trades. And when we're talking about skilled trades, we're talking about construction, maintenance and industrial trades. Um, and reasons, the top three reasons why women leave are um, toxic work environment, yep. lack of opportunities for advancement, lack of community of peers. Mm. So the government agreed to throw some money at addressing these three issues. And um, there was a whole request for proposals process that went through. Um, there's some really amazing little things that happened as a byproduct of this, um, including um, one of the things that Lisa Langevin then went and did is got together a group of tradeswomen to um, come and uh, form an organization, a nonprofit called the BC Tradeswomen Society, uh, which is the only for tradeswomen by tradeswomen organization in this province um, that uh, is open to any woman who self-identifies and is working in a construction maintenance or industrial trade. You just pay your $5 a year and you can be a member, you can run for a position on the board, you can um, do all sorts of stuff. And it's not run by a union or a trades training institution right. or a company or anything like that, or a government, it's an independent organization. Um, and so the BC Tradeswomen Society, newly founded nonprofit, partnered with um, BC Build Together, which is the women of the BC Building Trades Unions, and then other community partners, including um, IBW 213, uh, the BC Federation of Labor, um, the Canadian Labor Relations Association, um, or sorry, the Construction Labor Relations Association of BC. Um, and a couple other partners to form a board that mm -hmm. then put in a request saying we would like to form the BC Centre for Women in the Trades uh, to address these equity issues um, at a grassroots level. And so they were successful in getting um, a $500,000 grant to put um, for the first two years to run sort of a pilot. And so all of this was happening and I was out working on construction sites as an electrician. Like I, I wasn't part of this, yeah. um, but I knew about it happening because where I live in Victoria, I was organizing uh, tradeswomen meetups. Right. Um, just, you know, first Wednesday of the month, we get together for uh, burgers and, you know, bring your kids if you have to, and like talk about it, what's going on in your life. And, um, and so that's where I was at is I wasn't really part of any of this stuff, but I knew about it happening and I knew some of the people involved um, and, um, yeah, and so that's what, so this was all happening mostly in Vancouver, and then through those first couple of years, um, there was a whole bunch of things that BCC WIT established. One of the first things they did was partner with the Ending Violence Association of BC, which already has its amazing Be More Than a Bystander program, and what they did with that through that partnership was took that curriculum and rewrote it to be focused on a trades environment. Um, they solicited real-life stories from women on construction and industrial sites about the sorts of um, awful bullying and harassment and targeted gender-based um, sort of things that you face on those sites. And they use that to make training videos. Um, and so they they have a, and that's something that BCC WIT still runs is we have a Be More Than a Bystander program that is um, tailored to the trades environment. 
Um, and we still travel all over partnering with um, different trades training institutions and unions and the industry training authority to um, run that program um, for allies. And um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of other things that then we got off the ground during that time period. Um, and when I came in, it was sort of towards the end of the contract. It was December of 2018. And there was only five months left to that initial, um, that initial two year uh, plan. And I was supposed to come on to organize the conference that was supposed to be <laughs> happening that spring. And instead we had a global pandemic. Right. So, um, but that sort of gives you a background on where BCC what came from and um, sort of what the genesis of it was. And the main things that I want to convey there is that this isn't something that happened because, you know, um, a government said, oh, we need to make this happen. They didn't know that until we actually had real live tradespeople who were dealing with, you know, just a lack of justice and a lack of inclusion who were saying, no, actually we need this to get looked at. Um, and I think that that's really important because sometimes people say, well, I can't fix things because I'm just me. And it's like, okay, but if you get together with a whole bunch of other people and you can just make stuff happen. Um, and the thing about the skilled trade sector, and I know you're very aware of this from your role working um, in your company is that we need workers. They're desperately. Like, yes. Like, I just, I saw this constantly when I was out there in the field working as an electrician, like I had some amazing apprentices during that time period, but I also worked with people who I, whether they were my apprentices or just other people on job sites where I just was like, how do you still have a job? And yet I literally know women who can't get hired unless they take their feminine name off of their resume and put on their first initial. Or I literally know people who can't get hired unless they change their last name to something that is not so ethnic or something like that. Yeah. Like, or my favorite is when people say, oh, well, I can't hire that guy because I don't think he speaks English. And I'm like, have you talked to him? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Because I think he speaks English. Like, why would he be applying to work here if he didn't anyway? Um, but there's so much of that sort of stuff happening. And the skilled trade sector really needs workers. And um, one of the things that we need in order to make that happen is a revolution around how we make our workspaces uh, inclusive and actually make space for workers um, who aren't just the same cis straight white young men that you know often people think of when they think of a construction worker. Or, or, or you actually have or, Yeah, or old guys. I mean, I, I wanna circle back yeah. because you've just, you've answered like a ton of my questions without me even having to ask, which is like awesome. Um, but I do wanna just circle back to um, this idea of by women, for women, creating community, and I think that's, for me anyway, the thing that not, I mean, all the rest of it's really important and stands out, but like, I think that that whole component of it really is where the, I guess the, the powerful component is, you know, because I think like once you gather and once you strengthen and once you educate women and all of that, like we are unstoppable once we basically come together and we have a common goal. We, you see it all over the place, you know, from, you know, different studies that happen in world countries where, you know, if you educate the women, the kids are healthier, they're healthier, the economy gets healthier, the communities get healthier, the, the countries get healthier. And I mean, we're not a country as women, but, you know, we are 50% of the population. Mm -hmm. And if we can basically strive to do better and to bring forward all of these concerns and come together in that way to for like not force the change but encourage the change then everybody benefits everybody benefits like what you're talking about with people who have you know uh, ethnic names do they speak english or, you know if you're identify in a different way or whatever like all of a sudden all of those types of issues also get lifted up like a rising tide floats all boats mm -hmm. so i i just love all of the work that BCC Wit has been doing. I love the outreach that you do. Um, I've joined some of those meetups online and just the, the creation of the community that is 
formed within that. And it's just like, we're just chatting about stuff. And yeah, sometimes heavy things come up. Hey, how do I address this? Or this person did this, or this person did this on site. And it's like, here's this, um, you know, wealth of communal knowledge. And how did I deal with that? Or how did you deal with that? And, you know, and next thing you know, you've got that third option or the fifth option that helps somebody to address something that they're facing in the workplace. I just, I just love that whole component. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that you hear it again and again for people of why they left the skilled trades is isolation. And that's not just women, unfortunately, it happens to a lot of like young men who just aren't included in the social scene for whatever reason that's happening on a job site. And um, they, they think it's them as opposed to being something with that particular job site. And so they, they leave and, and that, that shouldn't be happening. Like we need to actually make sure that you have a community of peers so that when you are having a weird day at work, you find out that everyone went for beer after work and you weren't invited, that you have other people who are going to lift you up and say, no, like you have value and you can be good at your job and you have a place there and there's no reason for you to like leave an entire like industry just because of one crap thing. And um, and there are opportunities for change and there is a place for you. And that's something that we really like for the sake of our economy in our province, we need to get through to people that there is a place for you here. Like we need skilled trades workers. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. And that, that we're not just like having one woman or one um, yeah. person of color or whatever, like on a job site to say that we're inclusionary and have like this tokenism aspect yeah. of it going on. It just, yeah, like it ridiculous that we should have to change our names and, and things on our resumes and all that kind of stuff. I mean, just like super nuts like it's it happens everywhere and it happens it a lot in the trade yeah. so you know these studies that were done um you know i've read a couple of different ones around you know like what um some of the barriers to entry might be uh you know things like the lack of role models and mentorship and all that kind of stuff which bcc is trying to address um but also things like childcare opportunities and um you know we talked a little bit about the discriminatory recruitment and hiring practices that have gone on um but even things like uh safety equipment that's you know properly fitting for women you know yeah. men, women were built differently but even like a really thin guy is not going to you know have the same sort of safety fit uh with things that maybe somebody who's a little bit more burly is is you know going to fit into so i think like some of the, the safety equipment also needs to change um and you know accommodations for for different things like women carry heavy loads with the domestic side of our lives too and not that we all have to be like giving everybody a day pass on on things but you know oftentimes yeah like there's 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 components of our lives that don't aren't realized by men in general like they don't, don't understand or realize what what the components of all that are and um you know one of the things that you know, in my 10 years on the tools, like just to speak to that point, like that is something though that I really um, appreciate is how society is changing in general. Mm -hmm. And you hear again, always this rhetoric of, oh, you know, young people don't want to work anymore. And it's like, well, first off, that's not true. Um, have you tried <laughs> offering better wages? But also um, like the whole idea of work-life balance is, is really important to people. And when you're a woman on a job site and you have kids, like it's more like, oh yeah, you have to go to daycare pickup. And like, I got a lot more leniency around that sort of stuff. And I would see guys that I work with getting teased if they had to go do daycare pickup. And one of the things that I heard several times during my time on the tools is, you know, oh, when is your wife gonna quit your jo her job to support your career? And people said this to me and I laugh and I'm like, no, like um, my spouse is really wonderful and skilled, but like, you know, multitasking is not always one of her strong suits. It's actually mine. And so if someone was going to like be a homekeeper, like it would be me. I'd be very good at that. But also like, I'm not actually quitting my career. No one should have to have a spouse quit their job to support their trades career. And yet I still think that that mindset is pretty prevalent in a lot 
of the culture that we see in the, at least in my experience in the construction industry, um, where there's someone else at home who's making a lunch for you. There's someone else at home who's making dinner and, you know, taking care of the laundry and the, the, the pets and the kids. And so you don't have as many of those responsibilities. So you can just come and like work a 12 hour shift, maybe expand it to 16 if you need to, um, without making other arrangements. And I, I think that it's more obvious with a woman that she it's more take it's taken more seriously but with a woman if she's like actually I can't I have to go and do xyz because women are more often seen as being caretakers and so that's a bit more culturally acceptable but it going through that myself really made me see how men are disadvantaged in that way and how it isn't fair and it isn't right and they should also be able to go and like yeah I got daycare pickup and be taken seriously and not get teased for that. Um, and this is one of the ways in which, you know, we talk a lot about when we're talking about equity, like we're not asking for special treatment for women. We're not asking for special treatment for people of color or to us LGBTQ people. We're actually asking for a better work environment for everybody. We yeah. want everybody to be able to be a real person, to bring their real self to work and to get taken seriously in terms of like their needs and also their skills and their abilities and what they are bringing because we all have, different strengths and it's not always going to be like oh that guy's a dude so he's super strong and like buff and like i'm a woman so i have neat handwriting like that's actually (laughs) and we actually my penmanship is amazing i mean i do actually have really great penmanship just to be clear (laughs) i'm very good at like labeling tiny wires but having said that like we we can't just base things on those stereotypes and we everybody deserves to have like a check-in about like hey what are you actually good at like do you want to do this do you want to do that like there's a lot of guys who are like super strong and buff and like yeah it's really great you know if I have them on a crew I'm like cool can you go and put in a ton of like just run all that EMT conduit for me but maybe that guy actually really wants to like learn more about running a crew because that's actually like people skills are his jam and you know what we need in the construction industry, we need a lot of people with great people skills. People skills are amazing. And if he wants to hone those, then yeah, actually, like, let's give him a chance to, because, you know, we need all types and there's an opportunity for everyone to really thrive. Yeah. I mean, and again, just going back to the the rising tide floats all boats, like, you know, we're advocating for better workplace environment, better culture for everybody. Not well, us, but yeah, and the stereotypes—it starts with us. Like, let's, yeah, let's get it going, and then it will basically diffuse into everything. It's it's interesting with the stereotypes thing because that's something I I mean I still get I get calls about that like my phone numbers out there, people phone and they're like oh I'm thinking of going to Detroit I'm like great here's some resources but they often want to just talk to somebody who has worked in the skilled trade sector and they want to know like different things and one of the things i hear all the time is women call and are like hey am i too short am i too fat am i too weak and i'm like no like there are there are like bodies regardless of gender come in all shapes and sizes and like you know sometimes you're going to be in a crawl space and being tiny is amazing one of the things that i learned from my own experience on the tools is that like i'm not a big yoga or person or anything but i'm really flexible and i'm really good actually at just sitting cross-legged i don't know maybe it's because i garden a lot um or because i have kids and dogs and stuff but like i spent a lot of time sitting on the ground and so we had to wire like all these panels and all these offices at a building and like it was this little control box it was only about 10 inches off the ground and so i just okay cool just sat down like got a little piece of, of wood to put under my tailbone to sort of rise it up a little bit. And I just could just sit there and spend 20 minutes wiring up this little controller. And I was working on a crew of guys who couldn't do it. They were like lying on their sides trying to do it. They were like kneeling and trying to bend over and they're really in a lot of pain. And they're like, how are you doing this? And I'm like, I don't know. I just sit down cross-legged and, and they didn't actually have the flexibility to do that. Mm-hmm. And yet you hear constantly, oh, well, you know, mm, I don't know if I really want her on my crew because I don't know if she's like strong enough to carry that stuff. And I'm like, well, is that the only thing you need somebody for to carry something? Because I'm pretty certain there's lots of other things you need people for. Well, and if that's the case, then there's laborers out there. That's what they do. They carry stuff and lift stuff and whatever. Yeah, exactly. When we're talking about um, attracting women into the trades, um, because like we're saying, like we're desperate for skilled people. 
And I think there's a great opportunity here for women to like enter into this skilled mm -hmm. uh, field with, uh, with abandon. Like, honestly, there's a place for everybody. And like, we we're talking about like, Everybody has different skill sets, everybody has different strengths, and there's a place for everyone. So when we're talking to, like, when you're talking to someone who, say, calls and is like, I don't know, should I, should I, blah, 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 blah. Like, wh what, would we, what would we be saying to, like, maybe high school students even, or people who, you know, went into a university or college situation and, and discovered, you know, this track is really not for me, and I always loved tinkering, or I love, you know, whatever, and, and the, the trades are kind of interesting me like how do we how do we I don't want to say sell or market but just like how do we showcase how good the trades can be mm -hmm. in and amongst all the the crap like there is and 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 the crap is in any sector so it's not just trades it's everywhere so like that aside how do we you know encourage people to consider this as a as a career as a vocation um, the number one thing I always talk because I do call, I do talk to students that's, uh, whether they're in high school um, or you know out in the community and I mean the number one thing I always say to people is it's fun like it's so fun if if someone had told me earlier how fun the trades were I would have gone into them sooner the amount of satisfaction I get from making something happen is just incredible and like in my own role as an electrician I guess it's a bit you know it's a bit magical too but you know electricity how does it work I don't even know I mean I do but also <laughs> like, it's just so cool to take something that's not working and to fix it and it all comes together and sometimes you're working on a project and you're doing all the work and it's weeks and then you get to flick a switch and everything goes and you're just like oh it's it's so satisfying like it just fills my heart with so much joy and i realize that sounds a bit overblown and i swear i'm not just like weeping like with happiness on a construction site but <laughs> i just i love it so much and i don't think people talk enough about that about the feeling of of having accomplished something um well, and that's there, there's, 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 this, there's this tangible aspect to it, right? Yeah. Where I started with a, either a pile of material or a, a problem that I solved or whatever. And at the end of the day or the, the three weeks or the two months or a year, or however long it took to complete that project, you actually have something physically tangible that is functioning in one way, shape or form, whether you're a plumber or HVAC or electrical or or whatever, or, or even if you're doing demo, like you started with something big and now it's a big pile of rubble or, or whatever, whatever it is, like there is a, a tangible result to, yeah. to your work, not just, oh, I cleaned up my inbox or I had a pile of paper here and now it's over there. Like it's not as satisfying, um, I find, because I do all kinds of things, right? Like I, I, I'm still mm -hmm. sometimes on the tools. I run my own business. I, you know, I network, I do all like a bunch of admin work. I do, you know, content creation, like all of that. But the thing that still gets me giddy is when I do, and when I'm on the tools and I start with something and I end with something better. Yeah. And it's just like, that's why I'm in it. Right. Like, and from a the standpoint of like what my role is for my own company, it's like, we started with somebody's whatever kitchen, bathroom, house, whatever it is. Um, and we, created something better and it functions better and the client then loves us because now they're happier in their space and the, the space is kind of healed in a way and yeah. they're you know the the energy is better or the, the just the light is better whatever whatever it is whatever the brief was from the client and that's the that's the non-tangible aspect of what I do is just like that that piece of joy coming back from the client but the true joy is like we started with something that was a disaster really and then we're we have something that's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's really funny because um, I I mean I often tell people oh like yeah no my other my my favorite thing about electrical or when they say oh I can't do electrical I'm not good at math I'm like yeah okay it's math but it's also arts and crafts and like my specialty is building automation and one of the reasons that I love it is it is so much of taking chaos like in a, a cabinet that's cascading in tons of like hundreds of wires small ones and because they're all, all going to sensors and to like little like 24 volt valves and things like that and organizing them at 
the microcomputer system that's automating for the building. And I just, it's like, I love I loved to knit. I love to do all sorts of stuff like that in my spare time and to actually do that in a job setting where I'm getting professional recognition for how neat and tidy I can install something. Like it's very rewarding. Um, <laughs> and I love that. But like the other thing I, you know, I, I say to people, about why the skilled trades are so great and such, I've found personally to be really valuable to me is um, that sense of what I'm worth. Mm -hmm. And for me, like I actually joined the union straight, straight out of doing entry-level training at the college here. And so I always had like, well, that's what my hourly wage is, is the union wage. But even if you're not in the union, you can also like look at what the hourly wage is for your area and say, well, okay, well, I need to earn around that. And you don't have to get into negotiations. I mean, maybe you do for like a dollar here and a dollar there, but overall like that, I found so I've just found to be really valuable to know that like, okay, so a journey electrician, like $39 an hour know that that's actually what I'm worth and like if you're going to pay me more than that great if you're going to pay me less than that then I'd like to have a conversation about like why and I really um I think that that's something that's really valuable I think that when we're out there in the workforce I don't think that people are taught enough about how to negotiate I don't think that people in general like where would you learn that you don't learn that at university at least I didn't no. and like my previous path that I was on um was like my when well, I did go to university and my degree is in um I have a bachelor of in, ge in geography with a specialty in sort of like urban geography urban planning and also in indigenous studies and if I had stayed in those in like that sort of work then it would have been like contract to contract and with wages that went all over the place and I really found that to be a really stressful even concept at the time and yeah, I think this idea of, of, of pay equity in so many other sectors is challenging. It is. In in the trades, it, it it's more transparent. It is more and, transparent. You know, a journeyman whatever, whatever trade is yeah. typically making X. And yeah. no matter and you, what, what gender you are or whatever, like it's it's easy to say, I'm doing the same job as this person, and we should all be basically being paid the same. So that's something that, that when people ask me about, should I maybe get into trades or not or whatever? And, and I, that that's definitely a, a selling feature in my, in my view is like, look, there's, there's better access to pay equity yeah. without having to fight too hard for it. Yeah. And just like, you know, say, oh, they, they say, well, you have less experience in blah, blah, blah. And I can say, okay, but I have more experience in this. So, okay, I'll take this lower wage for this many months. But by this time period, I expect you to raise my wage to that one. Like, and I've had these conversations with uh, lots of people um, because they do need a little support around this because sometimes people don't realize that you can just look up typical wages on WorkBC uh, for your area. Um, and also you can look at like, um, you can look at collective agreements for different trades unions and see like what is what is the union rate for this and then know that if you're working non-union you should still probably be earning within like a you know a few dollars of that depending on where you are in the province um but i think that that for me is just something that i just i love i love that i can be like no this is actually my value like this is my worth per yeah. hour and um it's not i'm not trying to like you know I don't have to get my ego into it and be like, well, I'm worth more, I'm worth less, or what do I think I'm worth and all that sort of thing. It's actually like, no, that's, that's what it is. Take it or leave it. But also, I mean, the, just what you sort of rolled back to um, around the negotiation part. I mean, typically we're a culture that we don't negotiate anything. We're told what the price is and we pay it. Yes. Right. Like that's just how we are. And uh, in other places, negotiation and bartering and all of that is like, day in day out all the time and it's like it's commonplace and it's not rude and it's not you know whatever blah 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 like there's all this sort of psychological crap that we sort of have adopted <laughs> in in our culture and western culture and I really think that yeah okay well if you want to pay me less okay fine I understand maybe I don't meet this that criteria for you but okay a then what where is the benchmark what what are the metrics yeah and and I want to get there so 
you, uh, you as my employer, you need to work with me to be able to get there. What, what are my next steps? What do I need to do? Can you yeah. start placing me in those places so that I can then rise and get to that place and not hold me back or what have you, or yeah, recognize that. Yeah. Like maybe I don't have that, you know, bucket of, of, you know, skill set or whatever, but I have these four other ones yeah, and yeah. those four other ones have a lot of value to them as well. So like, let's talk about that. And again, putting like that, that timeline on it, I think is a really good sort of piece of the conversation so that, you know, it's not just open-ended. Oh, well, maybe if you get better at this or that, blah, blah, blah. And the next thing you know, it's like a year later and there's, there's no way to measure it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that little piece that you just talked about is a really good one to sort of impart to people. Yeah. And it's also part of building relationships. And I think that that is why it's valued in so many other cultures is that when you negotiate with somebody, yeah, you get to find out a little bit about them and you're sort of building rapport with them and they get to suss out a bit, like, what kind of person are you? And I think that we actually need to lean into that a bit more uh, in our culture, especially as if we're from underrepresented groups and we need to ask for what we're due. Like, don't be scared of it. Don't take it as being something that, um, I mean, yes, it is insulting sometimes because you're like, why do I have to negotiate for something that I should is just actually a right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, it is where we're at. And so taking it as an opportunity to build rapport, to show that, no, actually, I'm a fair and sensible person. And I'm like, I like problem solving. And you have a problem where you need a worker. And I have a problem where I need to get paid. So let's see <laughs> how we can both like meet our needs. Yeah. And and actually sort of try to enjoy that a bit more. Um, and well, just, just, having that, just having that respectable conversation where yeah. it's not aggressive or, or combative. It's just like, yeah. like, or, or hurt feelings. And I, and the, the problem that comes in there is when you're negotiating for something that you shouldn't have to be negotiating for. And that sucks. And I really do feel that, um, this has come up a few times in some of the private Facebook groups that we have for women in trades where people find out that, you know, a woman will find out that she's getting paid less than a guy on site and she just wants to quit and she's really pissed off about it. And, um, there was somebody posting a question about that in one of the groups, uh, a couple months ago and <laughs> someone else posted saying, Hey, like, I totally get this. And I just want to put in a little cautionary tale. She's like, I was on a crew and I found out that I was getting paid less than some guy who'd been working there less time than I had with less experience. And I was full of rage. And I just like went into like my supervisor's office and started yelling at him. I was like, I'm quitting. And like, and was like, just tore a strip off the guy and told him and like quit on the spot. And the guy was like, wait, what happened? Oh my God, I'm so confused. And the guy was like, oh, wait, what do you want to earn? And the person was like, well, I want to earn at least what he's getting, but preferably a dollar or two more an hour because I've been here longer and I have experience in these things. And this is what we're working on right now. And, and he said, oh, okay, sorry, I can, I can do that for you right now. I will definitely, that is, that is now your wage. And he said, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize you needed that money. When he was hired, that's what he told us he needed. Ooh. Which, and she said that like, she was like, right. oh, okay. <laughs> but she said it had never occurred to her that she would have to ask for more money. Yeah. She thought that she would just get wait, wait, like rewarded with raises regularly. And it didn't occur to her that actually she needed to go to the boss and say, hi, this is where I'm at. Um, I need to earn more money. Um, otherwise, like, you know, and give him that opportunity to give that raise. Yeah. And and so she said, so like, she apologized and said, okay, yes, please give me that money. Uh, let's pretend this didn't happen like this. And I'm she was like, going to go back to work now. Yeah. And she did. She's like, I'm going to go back to work. And the guy was like, okay, yeah. Uh, sorry. Okay. Okay. Dude, okay. She's like, yeah, we're okay. And like, you know, she, you know, she laughed about it, but she said it was really one of those really eye-opening moments for her. And, and part of it is that, and I mean, I'm sure you see this in, in the renovation sector, but like so much of the time it's like little companies with people who don't actually have experience running a company. So this might be the first time they've ever had to deal with negotiating, paying their staff. And so if a guy comes in and they really need him and he's like, okay, but I need to earn this much. Yeah, maybe that's gonna happen where they're just gonna say, oh, okay, and bring him on. And it's not like they, they're run ragged, they're on the tools, they're doing admin. They don't actually have the time and energy to then go through and look at what everyone else is, is earning and, catch up and talk with all those people and be like, Hey, I need to give you a raise or like, where are you at with how you're doing financially or whatever? Yeah. I mean, I could like, 
it, it could genuinely be an oversight yeah. just right and maybe there's not a policy or like a a, re, a regular review of wages and all that kind of stuff as a as a system for their business and you know like so sometimes you actually have to give place like your boss or other places grace even if you don't want to yeah. I mean, my number one thing I always tell people is give yourself some grace because um, you are going to make mistakes and you are going to, I don't know, have bad days. And that's okay. We all do. Yeah, um, not not everybody also, has their best day. I say that all the time. Yeah. You know, you never know what's going on with people. You know, you can't always make assumptions. Yeah. You got to give people the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, um, like your best on any given day is different than any other day depending on how you slept or what happened, like, did you get an accident on the way to work or, or yeah. Yeah, whatever? Yeah. Like, you know, we all typically, we, the benefit of the doubt is we all give our best. Yeah. And if maybe today my best isn't as good as it was yesterday, well, I'm, I'm still giving my best. Yeah. And also we all give our best within our capacity and within our knowledge. And so that's the thing too, is that like, sometimes when someone is not doing things in a way that's equitable or inclusive, it's because they never thought about it before. Mm. and that's something that you know it becomes a double burden of being the underrepresented person on a job site if you actually have to educate your employer or your coworkers about certain things and from my own experience uh yeah that's that's frustrating and sort of one of those things where I'm like I value a lot of the lessons I've learned along the way specifically around that because um I learned so much about setting boundaries. And um, on one hand, yeah, probably shouldn't have had to, but at the same time, it's also a really incredible life skill that I am so grateful that I have. Um, this really came into focus for me um, four years ago, five years ago, almost now, where when I was carrying my second pregnancy um, while working on the tools and well, like Victoria is a pretty small community. People know me. Um, and so, you know, they know that I'm an electrician. Uh, they know who, who I was working for. They knew um, that, uh, you know, I specialize in controls. Like I have, a, I had a work band with my name on the side of it and everything, but they also know that I'm an outqueer person. And so then I'm like pregnant on construction sites. And I had a lot of really personal questions. Um, and it happened with my first pregnancy too, but especially with the second one, I think, cause I was a bit, uh, I was a journey person by then. And I just in contact with a lot more people and I got really, really good at when someone asked me a question at saying, Hmm, well, if you're asking like in general, I'm pretty certain you can Google that. And if you're asking specifically, pretty certain we don't know each other well enough. And that is also something that like I would use all the time in other circumstances, not yeah. just talking about like my pregnancy and stuff like that. I mean, I've used it in other parts of my life, but you know, it, it like I do hear this from women in trades that they're on job sites and they get asked to answer for like, why, why do women quit the trades? And it's like, I'm a plumber. Like I'm here to plumb things. Like, don't talk to me about this. Like go and Google this. Like, that's not, I'm not here for that. And that that's actually within your right. That's in, and that's actually a really great skill to have um, to be able to say like, Hey, like I'm actually here to work. So I'm going to work and yeah. that's what I'm going to do. And I don't actually have to educate you um, because that's not what I'm here for. That's not why I was hired. And it's actually taking time away from our job. So let's go do our jobs. But um it's also something that, you know, when I did have those opportunities to educate, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes I go really poorly. Sometimes I go really well, though, and I'm really glad that, like, I got a chance to do that because that is also sort of what led me into doing this work um, mm -hmm. and to having a chance to talk to people um, all over the province, whether it's tradespeople or employers or trades training institutions, um, is... Uh, yeah, like having conversations about how things actually are for us um, and encouraging people to have conversations about like, not just like, what are the goals and like, oh, what is our policy? And it's like, okay, but what is actually happening on a job site? And I think that's really valuable. And we need actually to spend a bit more time being sort of realistic about how things um, are working out for people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we, I could like talk to you for like for hours more. Um, but I feel like we've gotten through a lot of the 
like all of the questions I had sort of in, in my mind to talk to you about. And um, I, I think probably now is probably a good time to kind of wrap things up. I mean, we talked about sort of the initial like BCC win and like what we do and what, how you do it and all that kind of stuff. And with some tips and tricks for maybe women who are listening or others um, to address things that are on, on the work site. Um, so I want to, I always like to sort of finish up with a couple of fun questions on when I'm interviewing people. So I'm going to ask you a couple of them now, and then we'll kind of close out the show. So, um, what is your favorite tool and why? Oh, I love this question. Okay. My favorite tool is, dun, 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 I'm going to grab, just grab some of them, my job notebooks. Oh. So. As a controls electrician, I, yeah, okay, I have to know how to like, you know, make that variable speed drive work. But also, I have to talk to the pipe fitters because they're installing the radiators, but I'm putting, uh, wiring up little valves, but they're installing little valves. I need to talk to the main electricians who are, you know, putting in the circuits for the uh, exhaust fan because I'm actually going to interrupt their circuits with a little relay so that it's attached to a occupancy sensor. Um, I need to talk to everybody. Uh, tin bashers, they're coming on site and putting in duct. I'm going to put holes in the sides of the duct and put in a temperature sensor. Sorry. Um, I need to talk to everybody on a job site. So communication is central to being a controls electrician. Um, and keeping track of not just stuff, not just uh, assignments and, and information and like plans, but also people and phone numbers. And I would not have been able to do it without my job notebooks. And so I, I you know, these are just blank notebooks from, or, or lined notebooks from Staples. And I do everything from drawing layouts and um, just, it's sort of my work diary. And, you know, there's the abbreviation for the job. There's the job number. So I know how to bill it. There's the date. Um, this is a circuit that I drew for how we're going to wire up that thing. Here's a commissioning checklist that I was working on. And this is my diary of what I did every day for years and years and years. I have a huge stack of them. I wrote down people's phone numbers. I also noted things like, wow, that creepy guy won't stop staring at me. Because later on, if that guy like, oh, I don't know, shows up at my house or does something inappropriate, I have a record of it. Um, but also, uh, this has been amazing because um, I still get uh, not actually I haven't in the past couple months, but I have former coworkers contact me <laughs> about jobs and say, hey, do you remember when we did X, Y, Z because you were on that job? And I'm like, oh yeah, I was. And they're like, can you look up in your job notebook and look up the location of whatever? Yeah. Or do you know what panel number the lights for the second floor are on? Because they're not actually on going to like the, the panel on the third, on the second floor. And I'm like, oh no, I remember. And I'm like, and I can go through my job notebook. I'm like, can you give me an approximate month and year? And I can go through here and find them. And this, um, yeah, these saved me so many times. Um, it, it's the whole, I mean, for me working in a small region, like all, I mean, all over Southern Vancouver Island, though I did go to TELUS buildings in different parts of the province to do energy efficiency upgrades. So there are notes about those buildings too, but number one tool, records. Amazing. What a records great, what access. a great resource. So was, was this something that you, someone sort of suggested that you do, or was it just something like common sense for you that you just started doing it? Cause it made um yeah no common sense um I I mean I'm not a big diary writer or like bullet journal sort of person I didn't this is actually sort of before that though when I learned about bullet journaling I used some of the techniques in these but I'd already started these before that um no I um so when I did my university degree in um in geography um we often had to keep a notebook for mm. um like our urban geography courses. Um, I had an amazing uh, professor, Larry McCann, uh, who I think has passed away now, but he, that was actually something he would mark us on each, each term. Any class he did didn't matter what it was on, but it was some topic around urban planning. And we had to keep a notebook um, with sketches and notes of just neighborhood thoughts. And we, he wanted us to go on regular walks around our neighborhood or it didn't have to be our neighborhood, any neighborhood and look at 
the streets and the houses and have thoughts about how they're used, how they were made, their history, their future. And he actually would mark these. We had to hand them in each term. And I loved that experience so much and I found it so valuable. And like I said, like I didn't carry that onto my personal life, but when I started in the trades, it just seemed like, oh, like I'm constantly being bombarded with information. And especially because I actually specialized in um, DDC and um, building automation from like the beginning of my apprenticeship, which is quite unusual and possibly a bad choice. It's fine. I just have a, like, I have, so I'm a red seal construction electrician, but if you actually asked me to like, oh, I don't know, wire up a house, I'd be like, mm, you should probably count me as an apprentice because that's just not something I know much about. I did pass my red seal, uh, obviously, but the exam was quite funny. The first question was all about like staples. And I was like, I don't want anything about staples. Like, <laughs> I never thought of staple. Why would I do that? Let's, let's, you know, let's spend some more time talking about like occupancy sensors. Anyway, um, there's so much information was just getting thrown at me and it was stuff that I'd never heard at school or anything. And so I was like, okay, I need to write all this shit down. And uh, yeah, so. Okay. Um, okay, so the the last question I'm going to ask you is, what was your favorite work lunch? And were there any sort of off-limit items uh, in your, like, stinky things or whatever, like? Huh. Yeah, I mean, I was very lucky to work with a journey person for most of my apprenticeship. Um, hello, Chris Ouellette, if you're listening. Who... It's just uh, has fantastic taste in food, and um, <laughs> so often, like if we could, we would mash our breaks together and take a lunch somewhere and go out for lunch. And so for me, it's like actually really hard to think of what my favorite work lunch would be, especially because we were in different places all over the province, and so. Um, like yeah so that if, was if, if you had to make your lunch and bring it oh, I had to make my lunch oh I mean, I mean like, no, my yeah, favorite we could all go out and like have like amazing food or not so amazing food depending I'm on like, no I was, I was gonna say like no like my favorite work lunch was when I didn't have to make my own lunch um good question I I mean I eat a lot of like coleslaw I don't know I love cabbage <laughs> I just, I don't know. You, you heard it here first, people. Lindsay loves cabbage. Lindsay loves cabbage, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I often make like a, a coleslaw with like a sesame sort of like dressing on it and then have that with, um, um, I don't know, maybe some stir fried meat of some sort on it. I don't know. Sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> Is it time for lunch yet? Yeah, I know. Like, I can't say I put a lot of I can't say I put a lot of effort into my um, homemade lunches over the years. A lot of the times it was just like, I got to eat something and get this work done. So, yeah. Well, I mean, when I was employed, I, you know, you had your two breaks and your lunch or whatever. Yeah. But being self-employed, I, I, I have this networking lunch I do once a week. Yeah. Um, that's probably the only day I eat, sit down and eat lunch. All the rest of the days, it's like I've got, you know, like a protein smoothie in the car with me or like a granola bar or I don't eat at all or whatever. And it's like, it's not totally healthy, of course, but, or I'm like running through like a coffee shop to grab a, a, yeah. a London fog and a little snack of some kind. Cause like, you know, I don't get hangry, but I, you know, I get a little grumbly in my tummy and it's like, okay, I need to like roll through something and eat right now but yeah no. Yeah. I hear you. I work from home now and um, I try to at midday at the very least like leave my office and go and walk my dogs um I don't always though instead I end up just going and grabbing food and coming back to my desk which is not healthy so all right well maybe we need to be accountability partners yeah. lunch um okay so talk about your outreach yeah so um as I mentioned the core funding for um BCC WIT wrapped up at the end of 2018 and we were able to coast for about another year while the pandemic was happening um and I actually worked only part-time during that time but it, that was fine because I was home with my kids um and 
when I came back on full-time, it was in spring of um, 2021, and so just over a year ago, and it was specifically to run a leadership program that's not just for women, but is for Indigenous people, people of color, people with disabilities, to us LGBTQ people, and women um, who are interested in leadership opportunities in the skilled trades. So this um, is funded through uh, government funding that came through the ITA, and it's looking at the future of the skilled trade sector and one of the things that we see all the time is like okay we have recruitment programs to get people from underrepresented groups started in a trade but what are we doing to um have them stay and what are we doing to actually change up how policies and decisions are happening because when you look at all the decision makers in the province whether you're talking about trades training institutions or organizations like Tech Safety BC, or the ITA itself, um, or the unions, or like the Construction Association, and all of those sorts of groups that have a lot of influence on like policies and um, yeah, like the decisions. A lot of the time, when you look at who's there, like it is overwhelmingly um, white, male, cisgender, and straight. And it's like, okay, so if we actually want to have like a diverse skilled trade sector that reflects our province we need to actually look at diversifying, not just who's down on the ground working out in the field, but actually who's up there guiding the future. And how do we get that to happen? So one of the things when, when you talk to some of these bodies about like, oh, like, in, like what, like how do people get into this sort of like level of decision-making? You know, it comes up a lot like, well, you have to be qualified and we need qualified people, people who actually know how to do public speaking, who have experience writing proposals and things like that. And it's like, OK, well, let's get some people qualified. Yeah, let's train pretty, them up. Pretty certain we can teach people how to do lots of different things. I swear I didn't learn how to do math till I was 28 years old. So I'm pretty certain that, like, you know, I can learn how to write like a funding proposal or something like that. And I'm sure there's like, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of other tradespeople around the province who also can gain those skills and be incredible at sort of visioning, like, what do we want? What is it going to take to have a sustainable skilled trade sector where everyone feels like this is a career opportunity for them, that this is something where they will feel uh, job satisfaction, where they will be rewarded for being part of this sector and like that's what the economy needs we need people to think oh a skilled trades job that's a great thing where i'm going to use my brain and use my body and have a great future and so that's what i'm working on right now uh, we just this past um year we had five cohorts and we have four more happening and so a cohort is 14 to um 18 tradespeople from underrepresented groups we get together in one part of the province um so we've done cohorts in um nanaimo prince george Kelowna, harrison hot springs and um we spend a week together and part of it is we do workshops on things like harm reduction public speaking resume writing and that sort of thing but we also like a lot of the point of the week is to get together and share stories and sort of have a chance to know not just like you know oh well i'm sure i'm not alone but actually hear that a lot of the problems that we're facing it, it's actually systemic and like as someone with a very strong personality like i myself have experienced this where i'm like you know something crappy would happen to me at work and sometimes I sort of just want to write it off as being, well, it's because of my bitchy personality. And the sometimes I'm sure it's because of my bitchy personality. Like, let's be honest. But <laughs> I don't find you bitchy at all. <laughs> we work together sometimes. No, I'm joking. I swear. I actually, I, 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 you know, I miss, I miss my crew. I miss my guys. Um, I'm still in touch with a lot of them. And I don't think a lot of them think, or if they do think I'm a bitchy personality, they mean it. And they're like, hmm maybe sort of like loving way we'll see yeah. Yeah, but anyway yeah but i mean th it, those those leadership um sort of weeks that you're putting on i've, I've tried twice now to get involved with them for, for and for one reason or another i just just hasn't worked for me but i'm i totally want to come and experience that and and engage and you know build those relationships with the people in the cohort and yeah. all that kind of thing and and it's something that i know i definitely feel really strongly about um as far as like leading from the front but also leading from behind like just like yeah. let's do full circle around everything and like raise the whole industry up 
Well, and one of the things, the reasons that having these cohorts is so important, um, and then we like, so after they come to the to training, we then stay in touch and we have uh, monthly meetups and we offer ongoing supports and we can fund training and different sorts of things like, and help with professional development, help with resumes specific to job applications and that sort of work. But the main idea here is that you need a community of peers. Like, and I'm sure this happens in lots of sectors, but like I personally experienced this a lot when I was on the tools where like, there's a bit of a crab bucket effect where you're trying, like people want to pull you back down. They don't want you to, or you just think you're better than us. And like, I remember I was a second year apprentice and I was invited to go and speak at Camosun College. They had a trades discovery class um, that was women and they, um, I'd met somebody somewhere and she was like, hey, do, would you think you'd go and just talk about your experiences? And so I said, oh, okay, sure. And I, I took the afternoon off and, and the word got out on the site of like why I was leaving for the afternoon as I was going up to college to talk about being an electrician. And like, I had so many guys be really mean to me about it and just be like, oh, who, like, who are you to talk about being an electrician? You're only a second year apprentice. What do you know? And I was like, well, I know about my own experiences. Like, so that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm not going to go and sit there and explain to them, like, I don't know, motor theory. Like, what are you thinking? Like, of course I can go and talk about what my career path has been like and, and what's been challenging and what's been awesome. Like, by the way, this is one of the things that hasn't been awesome. So thanks buddy. But the whole thing of like, who are you to go and do that? Who are you to think that you could be management? Who are you to think that you could, you know, be giving input on that? And it's like, no, we actually need people to be engaged. And I get it that not everybody wants to be, and that's fine. That's great. I actually had one friend who had, she came over for tea and I was like, so regional rep. And she's like, nope, not my jam. She's like, zero interest. She's like, I'm a worker bee. I want to work at my job and I'm just going to work at it. And I have my other life uh, outside of like working. And she's like, skilled trades, love it. Do I want to talk about it? Nope. And I was like, okay, like, I respect that. That's totally fine. But for those people who are like, I actually think I have something to say about how this can be done better. And I think I have something to say about how this could be more inclusive and how I can make sure that like, you know, we're actually having a thriving skilled trade sector. I, I think we need to do what we can to support those people. And that's where it comes into this whole thing of like, okay, well, how are they, how do we get those people included? What do they need? What skills do they need? But part of it is also that community of peers is you actually need to have other people who are, who can say, yeah, yeah, you should apply for that job. Yeah, you should go to that feedback session. Or, hey, I'm writing a proposal for this. Would you edit this? Or, hey, do you want to put in a proposal with me to go and like, I don't know, teach a workshop on entry level, like cabinet making or something like that? Or like, I don't know, something like that. Yeah. And like, you need a community of peers who are also going to say, yeah, you can do it. And that's the part, a big part of it, like a big point of the program is to make sure that people feel like they're not isolated. And it's not just that they're not isolated out in the job sites in their actual current careers um, as skilled tradespeople on the tools, but also that in terms of having higher aspirations for where the skilled trades is going to take them, we want to make sure that they know that, that well, the, they have. The opportunities are, are really limitless. Like you can go wherever yeah. you want to go, or you can just be on the tools and do your thing and love it like there's no right yeah. or wrong to it but if you're someone who has some ambition and you want to grow and develop and move around and, and excel and yeah. you want you you're someone who's built that way th there's lots of opportunity and I but think people, that's something that I talk yeah. about people who are interested or younger generation like high school kids or whatever it's just like okay well it's not just being on the tools forever like there are a lot of different things that you can do with it and I think part of you know creating that leadership uh initiative and program that you're that you're putting on um is going to be really helpful for people to understand like okay I'm here right now but where could I go and I think that is the most exciting part of it um as far as I'm concerned because it's showing people that there's a pathway forward yeah and what do I need to get there and how do I get those skills and here I'm giving you the package here's the gift of how to do it and I think that's the most valuable part of what what that program is going to have for people though so i have to say is not a lot of uh here's how to do it because a lot of the time we don't know and it's totally subjective. no but but it's like collectively here's how to do it you know like we're going to gather and we're going to learn and we're going to this and we're going to that it's not just like here's the manual on how to do it it's not what yeah. i was getting at but like this is how we move forward we entertain learning opportunities we entertain um you know room for growth we entertain 
allowing ourselves to dream bigger. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the, the pathway that I was thinking about. That's exactly it. Yeah. Allowing ourselves to dream bigger and to know that there's a place, like there's a place for all of us here and that, you know, we need actually so many more policymakers who actually have experience on construction and industrial sites. Like, yeah, because so much of the time right now, like we have programs and policies and, and whether we're talking about safety, whether we're talking about um, training programs, all that stuff. And a lot of it is written by people who aren't on, like don't have experience on the tools. And some of them are excellent, don't get me wrong, but some of them actually don't understand. And yeah. we need to make sure that um, we're providing opportunities for those people to either hear from yeah. tradespeople or for tradespeople to move into those roles. For sure. All right, Lindsay. Awesome. I'm totally going to have you back on. We're going to talk a lot more about a lot of different things. And um, yeah, I'm just thrilled. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brandy. This has been really fun. Uh, yeah. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening. And I hope you feel as inspired as I do. If you or someone you know has interest in the trades, there are many resources, many programs and supports. There's also a ton of women's groups out there specifically for those who are in the trades. We'll list a number of them in the show notes, but be sure to reach out if you're having challenges finding some in your area. We're all in this together after all, and we're happy to help in any way we can.